It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. Live from the Billy C Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whatever you're watching, whenever you're listening, I hope you're doing okay. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on beautiful St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Check out his website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Or give my man a call, 912-268-2328, 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's for an authentic Italian meal. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by the Turning Stone Resort and Casino and their next boxing event, which is this Saturday night. It's an HBO event, and uh, I want you there. You know why? Because I'm going to be there. I'm going to be ringside uh, for that uh, great night uh, of fights up at the Turning Stone. So get yourself some tickets right now. Visit our website, www.billycboxing.com, and click on the Turning Stone banner. It's right there on the right-hand side. You can't miss it. And uh, by the way, if you're going to go, drop me an email, billy at talkinboxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com, and uh, let me know where you're sitting, and I'll come and find you, you know, so you can buy me a scotch. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino from Bondage. The Baddest Man on the Planet. It's available right now where all good books are sold. And you can literally get a copy of it right now while you're watching or listening to this show. Uh, Just visit uh, barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. If you're looking to get a signed copy, don't worry about it. Visit our website, www.billycboxing.com. Click on the book. You can't miss it. Better yet, I told you guys, I'm getting old in my mind. She's a going. And uh, you know what I did? Uh, I ordered twice as many books as I should have, so uh, I'm giving you guys an early Christmas offering. Uh, If you email me, so you have to order it through the email, not through the website or anywhere else. If you email me, billy at talkinboxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com, uh, and you live in the United States, I will ship you uh, a copy for 20 bucks signed. So uh, drop me an email if you're interested in that. Um, coming up later on the show, we got uh, this week's Blast from the Past. Alex Papali will uh, uh, present uh, this week's Blast from the Past, another request. So if you uh, have a request for the Blast, just drop me an email. Uh, this week, a guy that hasn't been out too long, but he's not going to be fighting either. Uh, Edwin Valerio, uh, we'll be talking about him. Also coming up later on the show, uh, Boxing Hall of Famer and New Jersey uh, Boxing Commissioner uh, Larry Hazard. 
We'll stop by. We'll get his thoughts on the fights from last week and the news. And speaking of news, um, big news, uh, two big topics today. Uh, first and foremost, my man, uh, Anthony Joshua, who I feel is the best heavyweight in the world today, bar none. No one's even close uh, to him, in my opinion. Uh, he uh, was scheduled to fight uh, Cuba Pulov at the end of the month. Not no mo, because Cuba Pulov uh, got injured and... Uh, uh, he's been replaced by Carlos Takam. And uh, Tolos Takam, I'm, I'm going to give you a little thoughts on him here in a second. Uh, but also, big news uh, uh, for the sport of boxing, uh, the fight that uh, a lot of people wanted to see, including myself, in the middleweight division. Um, David Lemieux uh, is challenging Billy Joe Saunders for his WBO uh, world middleweight title the fight has been signed sealed and delivered and it will be taking place on december uh 16th and it will be uh on hbo and it will be taking place in canada now the exact venue has not been uh announced yet uh so we'll uh, uh we'll keep you posted on that i want to talk about those things uh uh right now start off with uh cuba pulov injuring his shoulder uh was uh notified uh, the promoter Eddie Hearn and uh, Eddie Hearn magically had a guy in place already joining us right now from St. Simon's Island uh, to get his thoughts is uh, uh, my man uh, Sal Rocky Senecola and Sal uh, it was announced the other day we were off yesterday but it was announced um, right after the show on Monday that uh, uh, Cuba Pulov injured himself in training uh, for his upcoming uh, world title challenge against Anthony Joshua, October 28th, he's out. But Carlos Takam is in, and it was he was moved in pretty quickly. What's your thoughts first on the injury to Pulov and uh, second uh, for uh, Takam uh, stepping up and getting his opportunity for a world title? Well, you can't uh, blame to come. I mean, he's he's there on the phone. He's got the opportunity. He's got the uh, chance. And, uh, you know, Pulov injuring his shoulder, uh, I'm sure it's going to be documented. I'm sure it's uh, something training-related. It could be uh, torn muscle. could be uh, rotator. could be uh, anything, capsule loosening up, bursitis. Who the heck knows? And uh, just overtraining it. Who knows? But the bottom line is if he is legitimately injured and uh, – they're going to uh, replace that fight. Then, you know, hey, whoever's ready. That's why uh, Don Turner used to tell me all the time, uh, as well as uh, Richie Giacchetti, hey, you got to always stay in shape. you got to be ready to go if you get that phone call within three to three to three weeks, three to four weeks. And so that's what you live. You live the life of a boxer, and you got to always stay in shape that you can get in a ring with anybody in three, four weeks if you had to. First and foremost, I don't question the uh, the injury, so don't, no. don't, don't think I am. I, I, and anybody else out there. I'm not questioning injury, and, and the reason, normally I would. Normally I would, I would be like, eh, what's up? But, Especially you know, when they have a replacement so quickly. Well, but. well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that in a second, but the reason why I don't question the injury is because Pulov has been patiently waiting uh, for his mandatory shot now at, for at least two yeah. fights from AJ. So, um, you know, a, a guy that uh, – Wanted this fight as bad as Pulov uh, wanted it. I, I doubt that an injury would be faked uh, two weeks before. But interesting you say this because uh, the promoter of this event, Eddie Hearn, um, had this to say. He said, I received a call from Callie Sarland. That's the promoter of uh, Pulov. He says, uh, 
uh, late uh, in the afternoon to inform me that Pulov had injured his shoulder and may be ruled out of the fight. This was later confirmed by Pulev's doctor. He said the IBF rules state that the mandatory will go to the next available fighter in line, which was Carlos Takam. He said when the Pulev fight was announced, I made a deal with Takam's team to begin camp and be ready and on standby <laughs> for this fight. Wow. When I called him this evening, they were overjoyed uh, that it was a go. It's a, a very difficult position for AJ, having prepared meticulously for the style and height of Pulev. He now faces a completely different style and challenge in Takam. This hasn't happened in his career before, uh, but he's uh, uh, ready for all comers on October uh, 28th. Um, Sal, what's your thoughts on the promoter having the other guy ready. Now, in order for him to have done that and, and make a deal, so to speak, he had to throw team to calm some money. And I think it was a smart move on the promoter's uh, uh, side to have it ready. Um, I don't smell anything fishy. I just think it's covering his ass. W what do you think? Well, you know, uh, yeah, you know, Bill, it's 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 a little little, yeah. It could be legit. It could be all legit, and that's what I'm saying. Uh, trainers will tell their fighters to always stay in shape because you don't know when the phone's going to ring, any opportunity is going to be upon us. And I, I legitimately, this promoter was saying the same. It just was ironic that it happened, and uh, you know, and uh, here we are. Uh, fighter is already uh, set to uh, step in as a replacement. And uh, I, uh, I'm not suggesting anything was illegit with uh, the whole thing with the injury, and I'm sure it could be all uh, proved if it had to be. And you know, it's just, uh, it's just, just, uh, just a bad. You know, I, I'm, I'm going off all emotional recall when, when I was supposed to get a title fight against Kenny Bazemore, and uh, ten, uh, twelve rounder in the Garden. And then uh, all of a sudden, Lenny Shaw, who was managing me at the time, said, oh, he broke his hand. He can't do it. And boom, in slips in Harold Knight to fight him for the title. And Harold Knight beats Kenny Bazemore. So I was a little pissed at that. And I felt, uh, you know, hey, you can't trust everything at face value. That's all. So no, I no. once in a while, I get a little suspicious. That's no, all. I, you know, listen, I... I and and so do I, <laughs> more than anybody. I mean, I'm I'm with you, Emma. You really? Come yeah, on, yeah. You, you you've you've heard that Come before. On. You're right. Come you're on, right. You little but, babe in the woods. What are you <laughs> talking about? But but the truth of the matter in this situation is, you know, it was a big event over there, and and uh, you know, a big event anywhere. Um, but I think it was a big event, and I think you know what we see is, you know, and Dax has talked about this in the past. You know, what we're starting to see, I think is um, a lot of uh, a, a lot of smart moves being done by the promoters on the other side of the pond. Something I think uh, some of the U.S. promoters should rip a page out of. And I, I believe that Eddie Hearn was smart in saying, well, you know, I don't want to jeopardize this fight. Anything can happen. And, and keep in mind, what if Anthony Joshua got hurt? Uh, you know, I, I wonder if uh, Carlos Takam would have stepped in and fought Pulov. I, I don't know. But when you take a look at Takam, obviously he's not, in my opinion, he's not as big of a challenge for Anthony Joshua with the exception of what Eddie Hearn said in his statement uh, about the size difference because there's substantial size difference. Carlos Takam is only six foot one and a half. I say only. I mean, he's a monster compared to you and I, Sal. But compared to, uh, uh, you know, Pulov, 
um, you know, it's several inches uh, shorter. Plus, you know, I, we don't know how Anthony Joshua is gonna gonna um, you know perform against the guy. He's obviously been sparring with similar height and size. Uh, and body mass uh, of Pula, plus his last big fight came over monstrous uh, Klitschko. So that, I think that that might pose a problem. As far as Carlos Takim, Carlos Takim, ranked number 19 in the world by the computer. Uh, he's got a record of 35 wins, 27 coming by knockouts. He's got uh, three losses, one being uh, a stoppage loss to Alexander Povetkin. The other, a draw. He had a draw with uh, Mike Perez. His two biggest wins were against Michael Grant in 2013 and old man Tony the Tiger Thompson in 2014. Um, aside from that, I can't see AJ having any problem with Takam. What, what's your thoughts? Well, here, you know, Takam, the only thing he could bring to the fight is maybe the element of surprise. Has he? He's probably been training, and, you know, with that in mind, he's been preparing for Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua has been preparing for him. So uh, I think that uh, you know AJ is is a pretty well-rounded fighter, even in, even in his young uh, career. He's got the uh, makeup and he's got the experience, and I think he can adjust and, and uh, learn in in uh, in short time. That uh, it's a different style he's got to train for, and uh, that, that's what pros do. Um, and the bottom line is, yeah, I think he should readily handle maybe not easily but i think you should readily handle to calm and uh everything should be status quo but like i said to calm this is his big shot this is this is once in a lifetime this is this is his opportunity to rise the occasion to put everything else the blinders on to put the eye of the tiger to do whatever metaphor you want to do this is the one that he needs to definitely come out and be at his all-time best and uh let's see if he can make a, a little piece of history for himself uh fight night that's all um, when you take a look at uh, Carlos Takam, uh, you know, his three losses were all when he stepped up. Uh, he uh, was knocked out by Alexander Povetkin in 2014, and he fought uh, last year, he fought Joseph Parker uh, before Parker was a world champion uh, and uh, lost a 12-round uh, decision. Uh, his other loss came back in 2009 on his way up uh, he lost to an undefeated Gregory Tony by an eight-round decision. So, uh, you know, the, the history shows that Carlos Takam, every time he uh, stepped up uh, his level of opposition, he didn't fare too well. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I got some more news. Hey, no, wait, there's more, Sal. I got some more there's news more. for you. There's more. Come on, Rumpel Peel. Let me hear I, it. I, I want got, that fisherman. I got some more news for you. The, the cookware. The, no, the... Uh, the, what was that? Uh, I have one of those. Those little. Uh, I have. I have a pocket fish. Yeah, man, that's what I'm talking about. I got one. My buddy. And, found and also, I bought his cutlery set. The one that. Wait, there's more. And I even got the butcher block thing that he throws in at let the me, uh, last five let, minutes of the infomercial. Let me tell you, my, that, those uh, pocket fishermen were around for a long, long time, and then I didn't see anything. My buddy found them in some store somewhere. He <laughs> yeah, bought you me can a, see them. Yeah, I no, mean, he, they, bu they he bought it They manufactured 23 million of them. I know. I I, uh, I got one un unopened, so if anybody's looking for a collector's pocket fisherman, I got it. But anyway, some other news <laughs> that was announced. <laughs> um, the deal is signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, for uh, David Lemieux to challenge Billy Joe Saunders uh, for the uh, only title that Triple G doesn't have, the WBO World Middleweight title. This fight will be taking place December 16th um, in Montreal. They just don't know which venue yet. HBO will televise it. Sal, I'm glad that this fight was made. Uh, what's your thoughts on it real quick? 
Well, you know me. I, I do like David Lemieux. And uh, I think he is an action-packed fighter. I think he comes to the fight to win. And I think he lets it all hang out, whether he win, lose, or draw. But uh, So I love the fight. I think it's a great move. And I think if he can beat and get past and win the title from Billy Joe Saunders, he's going to be a natural in line uh, for the winner of the Canelo Alvarez Triple G rematch. And, uh, you know, it, either way, uh, it really holds that the middleweight division is going to be a division that we're going to be looking at and keeping our eyes on for a good while. Well, they already have talked that the winner of the uh, Billy Joe Saunders-David Lemieux fight will be uh, fighting... Uh, the winner of the rematch between Triple G and uh, Canelo. So uh, looking forward to that. And, you know, I, I got to give credit to Billy Joe Saunders because, Me too. you know, to be honest with you, his history has shown that he's not exactly an easy guy to work with in terms of negotiation. And um, it seems that he uh, put his divaness aside and uh, got this fight uh, signed, sealed, and delivered. Now, Maybe that is indicative of the money that he's making. And just so you know, uh, if this fight had gone to purse bid, it would have been a 70-30 split in favor of Billy Joe Saunders. Obviously, David Lemieux wow. being held in uh, his home uh, 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 town of uh, Montreal, Canada, or city, I should say, uh, and being on uh, uh, Golden Boy's uh, HBO network, uh, so to speak, uh, it sounds like uh, everybody was made happy. So the money, the split, uh, I'm sure all sides are happy. So I'm looking forward to that one, Sal. Yes, it's going to be a great fight, I think. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be pulling for David Lemieux. But uh, Billy Joe Saunders, you know, he, he can give some good opposition. He's dangerous. And so I think uh, Lemieux's got to prepare for him. I think he's got to definitely look at what uh, the training films and what he can do and his tutelage uh, during training to offset his style and to set him up and to, to, to land some big blows and to get through his defense would be uh, very, very critical. And, uh, you know, and, and David Lemieux definitely can take a shot. And we've seen him do that. So uh, I think it's going to be a great fight. I'm looking forward to it. And my big question would be, as I've suggested, you know, how many more fights does Triple G really have in inside? I think he's going to beat Canelo Alvarez uh, a little more convincingly uh, the second time around in June. But does he walk away if he does? and uh, Or does he stay around for one more big fight? I think his clock is ticking, and I think he can definitely uh, handle what he has to do with uh, Canelo Alvarez. I just don't know what should happen before the or, or the end of that, not the end of that. Um, I got some emails to read. Uh, we got a busy show uh, scheduled for today. We got Larry Hazard coming up uh, in about 15, uh, 20 minutes or so, and we got our blast from the past. So I want to try and get these emails in. But Foist, in uh, Major League Baseball, in the National League Championship Series, the Dodgers show why, in my opinion, uh, they're the best team in baseball right now. They beat up the uh, cha champion Cubs 6-1 to one to go up 3 to nothing uh, in that uh, series. One more win for the Dodgers gets them a trip to the World Series. And speaking of World Series, how about the ALCS? The Yankees oh, down 4 yeah. to nothing. When yeah. Aaron Judge comes up to the plate in the bottom of the seventh, he crushed a home run. I, I had put the game on, and I started watching. He crushed a home run. I believe it was the first pitch he saw, uh, and uh, then the uh, uh, starting pitcher was uh, pulled. 
Uh, the Yankees put up another run in the bottom of the seventh to make the score four to two because they were down four nothing when he came to the plate. And then the bottom of the eighth, the next inning, uh, the Yankees tack on four more runs to go up six to four, and that was yeah. the final. The Yankees come from behind a four nothing deficit to win six to four. That series is tied at two games apiece, uh, making it very interesting uh, in the uh, ALCS. So I uh, wanted to give uh, uh, the Yankees uh, some credit there. Watch out. What? I got to read I, some emails. Question, don't question, don't make it too long. Question. Thank you. Hey, would I have a better chance of converting you and making you a Yankee fan or a uh, Deontay Wilder fan? What's my better? What's the better chance? What do I have? You have a better oh. chance of uh, <laughs> witnessing and filming hell freezing over than uh, either of those things with me. But uh, let's read some emails. First and foremost, my man Jesse says, Hey, Billy C. and Sal, I thought something like this might happen to young Lubin. He's referring to Erickson Lubin cool. being destroyed uh, last weekend. Uh, he said it was just inexperience and uh, the moment was too much. I give him credit. He got up. Uh, and he tried to get up and said he was okay, but he clearly was not. Charlo was uh, a lot uh, of videos because they watch fighters and tendencies. Uh, I, I guess he says, I guess he meant Charlo watched a lot of videos because they watch fighters tendencies. Charlo uh, do swing for the fences. The Charlo brothers swing for the fences. That's why they get uh, the KOs. But in return, they're open for some shots. I want to see these guys battle for the top spots against Lara, uh, Charlo, uh, Andre and Heard. He wants to see all those guys fight each other. I heard the attendance were about 8,000, and that's bad. Or is that fair for a semi-big card? Here in the States, we don't draw that like they do overseas. So, I, I don't know, 8,000 wasn't bad um, for, uh, for that, I guess. Uh, and, and quite honestly, um, you know, Lara is not a huge draw because he's not an exciting fighter. And my thought, and I've said this all the way, the Charlo brothers seem like big bullies. Uh, they're always in there with smaller guys, and I do agree 100% with Jesse on this, Sal, that uh, Erickson Lubin, the inexperience factor is what um, hurt him in this fight. I, I don't think this big stage was a, was a factor at all. I think he was just in there with a, a bigger guy on fight night, and uh, his inexperience, his lack of opportunity uh, to fight uh, uh, better fighters uh, caught up with him uh, against Charlo. Well, it's that too, and 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 uh, you know that's the facts. But the bottom line is too, you know, there comes a time where a fighter, as he matures, he 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 arrives. I mean, he feels the confidence. He knows he belongs. You know, sometimes they're tentatively scratching the surface of 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 you know that opportunity, and and they they they're tentative on their movements and they're wanting to be there and they're a little apprehensive. But like I said, when a fighter matures. And uh, he he arrives, and he's comfortable with his own skin, and he feels he belongs, and he deserves it, and everything else. That's where a big momentum shifts. And sometimes a lot of it is psychological, Bill. And I think Lubin was just outside scratching that surface. surface. And uh, I think he had a lot to contend with emotionally and uh, psychologically to get him into that fight. And uh, obviously, he didn't fare well at all. Um, Jesse goes on to say... Uh uh, Leo and uh, Mares must fight and battle the other contenders such as Selby, Frampton, Valdez to see who's the best. Eddie Ramirez was like Lubin in facing such a tough veteran, older experience in DeMarco. I think uh, it was stopped a little early, though. Um, 
first of all, Leo Santa Cruz and Abner Maris do not have to battle anybody else other than themselves. They've both been right. at the top of, of the division, so I disagree with you there, Jesse, unless you meant something else. Uh, as far as Frampton, uh, in case y'all forgot, Leo Santa Cruz has already fought Frampton twice. They split. Um, as far as, uh, um, uh, uh, let's see, Eddie Ramirez fighting uh, Antonio DeMarco, that was a clearly great example of why you need to progressively increase the level of opposition of a young fighter on his way up and taking an experienced veteran like Antonio DeMarco too lightly. That, that in my opinion, Sal, has to be fully blamed on his team. What do you think? I think you hit it on the head there, too. You know, a fighter should never take anybody lightly. And, uh, you know, whether a team could suggest uh, differently, I, I still think it's the fighter's responsibility and to uh, do his due diligence, to take every fight as big as it is. And uh, so, you know, the team may have some influence, but I think a professional needs to be carrying himself ready to fight anybody and mentally preparing for anybody and don't take anybody lightly because like i always say billy any given night it could be your night this is true uh one last point and we're going to take a break um uh, jesse says uh billy i hear everybody's going for lomachenko versus rigandow and they say it's because rigo's too small uh but manny was a flyweight and look what he accomplished uh is rigandow's skills uh, maybe he meant it's Rigandau's skills replace his smallness and size. Um, listen, Guillermo Rigandau is is the example of of the sweet science. This is a guy that doesn't land uh, a punch on his opponent and then run to the other side of the ring. This is a guy that's right in front of you and you still can't hit him. I think it's a big test for Lomachenko. Lomachenko um, learned the hard way that you know the amateurs are, are a lot different. Uh, than the the pros, so uh, I like the fight. I think it's an even fight, and I can't wait for that one. So, uh, and, and people are picking Lomachenko because, you know, he's a more exciting fighter to most people, at least most people's opinions, than uh, than Rigandau. But Rigandau is is a quality fighter, and uh, I love this fight. And uh, we're gonna see if Lomachenko took this fight too soon or what. But uh, anyway, hey, listen, hold that thought. I got some more emails. Sal and I will uh, give you our thoughts on. All of that is coming up in two. Billy C will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad uh, listening to <laughs> the Billy C. Show. Glad you guys could be with us. Special shout out uh, to all of our WGIG listeners uh, over in Brunswick, Georgia. Glad to have you. Part of the show today, and uh, speaking of uh, glad to, I'd be glad to see you up at the Turning Stone this weekend. Uh, HBO will be putting on their event. I'm going to be ringside. I want you to be there, too. Get yourself some tickets. Visit our website, billycboxing.com, and click on the Turning Stone banner. It's on the right-hand side. I'm here with my man, Sal Rocky. 
Semicolon. We got some more emails. This is from uh, my man uh, Mitch South, and he Mitch. says uh, Pulov is out, and Takim is in versus uh, Anthony Joshua. He says. Uh, Meanwhile, I was at the fights in Brooklyn, and Baby Miller said he heard it's Deontay who was on something after he injured his hand. LOL. So we've always said that the guy that makes the most noise about uh, who's cheating, who's doing this. Is generally the guy cheating, you know. So uh, it's the I don't smoke know. screen. I don't know. I don't know. I, listen, Deontay Wilder. I, I'll be uh, my my point with Deontay Wilder is simple. I, I'm not gonna uh, listen. I believe that people. You, you can't just assume stuff. Yet you have to have yeah. some proof. Um, but my my only hang up with Deontay is is simple. Um, the guy pounds his chest like he's the best. He's never fought. I, I love when he said. Uh, the best are supposed to fight the best. Look what I've accomplished. Look who I, I've beaten. And I and and that to me was so clear that he doesn't even know anything about who he's fighting and 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 where they stand. I mean, you know, I was looking at uh, Joshua's uh, uh, resume today uh, when uh, when I was uh, preparing for to talk about Carlos to come. And the truth of the matter is, is you can't knock his his credentials. I mean, there are so many fighters on his resume, at least the last two years worth, um, that far exceed anyone that Deontay Wilder has fought. You know, I keep saying the only guy that I give him big time credit for uh, was uh, Artur Spitzka. I mean, I, I'm not giving him credit for Stavern. Stavern is not going <laughs> to. Anyway, let me move on. Let me move on, Sal. We only have move a couple on, of minutes on. here. Uh, he says, uh, "Move on, org." He says, "I swear, there's a shenanigans going on with Deontay. I agree with you, Mitch." He says, "Stavern uh, and Pulov possibly." Um, I'm sorry. He says, "Stavern and Pulov pulling out." Ortiz uh, popped out, but not suspended. Keeps his rankings. A 44-year-old Fresa Quendo who hasn't fought in over three years gets the winner of two guys who don't even deserve an elimination fight, which is so true. He says, what the hell's going on in boxing? Uh, I guess uh, uh, AJ might as well give Vitaly his shot. Well, how can it hurt at this point? That's how ridiculous all of that is, and my man Mitch is right on, Sal. Yes, he is. That does sound like he hit that one right on the head. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, uh, Takam will uh, perform uh, a little well. This next one I is think he from. Will. I think he will. Yeah, I think he can. I think he can. Just like that little I blue train, right? <laughs> um, and this one's from my man Johnston. He says, uh, "Good morning, guys." He says, "As you probably know by now, Takim has replaced Kuba Pulov uh, as the IBF's mandatory challenger for uh, Anthony Joshua on October 28th. Uh, Frenchman Takam is uh, rated at number three." with the IBF and has been on the hunt for a showdown with the British star. And he gets his golden chance at ripping the title away from Joshua. Uh, man, this is, he's making it sound like it's going to be competitive. Uh, uh, Pula picked up his shoulder injury. Um, and then he quotes exactly what I read, uh, as Callie Salalin's quote, um, saying that, uh, uh, you know, he had already made a deal. He says, what do you guys think is to a worthy opponent? I think it's a better. I think it's better than having no fight. Thanks for the email, Johnston. Um, I agree with that last part. Uh, I, I think that it's better than not having the fight at all, Sal. And I do believe it was a smart move by Eddie Hearn. What do you think? Yeah, I mean it is, and uh, you know he covered it as investment. He uh, had something else ready to go, and you know I'm sure it is all on the up and and legit. I mean he he 
definitely had a, a good case uh, to, to suggest that, uh, you know, Hay was looking to be uh, uh, taking preventive measures. And so the fight does go through and the fight date is solidified. So I give him credit. And uh, I think it's a smart move and something we might be able to learn over here. Yeah, I think uh, uh, it is a smart move. And uh, I think uh, promoters uh, in the U.S. should should consider that. You know, I, I you know, because, you know, Bill, it's funny because as I was suggesting, you know, maybe several weeks ago in the shows, you know, these big title fights or those big championship fights or the big pay-per-view fights. Sometimes they had multiple world title fights on there. And if not multiple title fights, they would have as, as a showcase, they would definitely have, and I think it's ideal, a great scenario. Whatever, whoever is fighting for that world championship, why not bring in some top contenders for that title to showcase them as a preliminary uh, because they'll be soon to be in line for that kind of shot against the winner of the title fight. I think it's a great way to showcase and show off a weight class. No doubt. Uh, we got another email. This is from my man Joel. He says it was announced today that Lemieux and BJ Saunders were able to come to an agreement and avoid a purse bid uh, in the fight on HBO in Montreal December 16th. I'm happy about this fight, and I'm happy it got made. I'm looking forward to it on HBO to close out the year on a high note. Are you and Salah surprises me that Warren and Oscar were able to come to terms for an agreement uh, of this fight so quickly? Um, no, I'm not. I, I think that uh, it was the uh, uh, fastest and, and most uh, financially rewarding fight that both these guys could have at this stage, I, I think. Uh, uh, Billy Joe Saunders' uh, options were limited, um, really. I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure they're looking at this as the, the least risk for him, even though I don't think he's coming out with a win. I think Lemieux yeah. is going to knock him out, but uh, anyway, Lemieux is going to tattoo yeah, him and knock yeah. him out. He says the, Lemieux may get hit, Lemieux may take some shots, but he's going to knock this guy out. No doubt, I agree. He says also it was announced yesterday that I'm a bo a big fan of uh, Sergey Kuzman will be facing Lucas Brown in Russia in November, November 27th for a regional title. Uh, I'm intrigued by the fight, and I'm hoping Kuzman can defeat Brown. What's your thoughts? He says. Uh, uh, thanks. Uh, anyway, thanks for the uh, email, Joel. What's my thoughts? You know, I, I got to be honest, uh, uh, Joel. I, I, I didn't know much about Sergey Kuzman, uh, but now I do. Uh, he's 30 years old. He's ranked number 32 in the world uh, by the computer in the heavyweight division. He's a small, I think, for a heavyweight, even though Takam is smaller than him. Uh, by today's standards, when you look at all the top heavyweights, they're all they're all over six five, six five or bigger. This guy's six foot three. He does come in heavy. I mean, uh, uh, he's uh, he is uh, over uh, two fifty, but so was Klitschko, and Klitschko was chiseled. Um, he's uh, thirty years old. He's eleven and zero with eleven knockouts. Uh, I'm sorry, with eight knockouts. Um, he hasn't fought anybody. All his uh, uh, wins, uh, like guys uh, against guys like Mike Shepard, Constant Eric, um, uh, Benito Costo Jr., Darnell Wilson. I mean, these were all basically have become professional opponents that go in and, and test a guy. Uh, his first fight was against an undefeated 3-0 guy, but the guy really wasn't even a heavyweight technically. He weighed 199 pounds uh, when uh, Kuzman weighed 300. Um, he also, when he fought, his biggest win when you look at him was his last fight. Uh, it's the most impressive win against Malcolm Tan, except Malcolm Tan was 39 years old and had a nine-year layoff. 
uh, after losing two fights against decent opposition prior to that. He never fought anybody. I don't know. Be careful with Kuzma and uh, uh, Joel because uh, he may uh, he may uh, not turn out to what you're expecting. But uh, is it, it is a fighter to keep an eye on. One last email I got to race through here. This is from my man Willie Wanker. He's in the chat room Willie. right now. He says, uh, hey, Billy, say I just heard the disappointing news about Pula pulling out of the fight and Joshua due to an injury. I also heard that Takim is stepping in. Uh, he says, uh, well, that got me thinking about the following. As we know, Takim has been in training for a possible showdown with Joshua. He was told quite some time ago by Hearn to get himself in fighting shape just in case. Uh, that brings me to the point. Surely this is a disadvantage for Joshua. He's been training weeks and weeks and weeks on a particular fighter in mind, Pulov, and now he's got to look for someone else in style, which doesn't seem like a good thing to me. Takim, meanwhile, has been uh, training with one opponent in mind, and that's Joshua. All this suggests to me that Takim will go into this fight with a slight advantage over Joshua in that he's only one out of two who has trained for the right opponent. What's your thoughts on this? It can't be a good thing. I, real quickly, I'm going to say this, Sal. It's not going to matter. Um, I, you know, Joshua's going to knock this guy out. What's your quick thoughts? Bill, my quick thoughts. Like I said, you're, you're a world-class fighter. You've been in with different fighters. And you know what? Don't tell me that Joshua's not never been in a ring uh, with somebody who who can uh, replicate this style. So no, he's a world champion. He's world class fighter. It's going to be just a little minor adjustment in his style and in his strategy and in his delivery of his punches and his boxing skills. But it's not going to make a big difference. Believe me, it's not going to make a big difference. I agree. It certainly isn't, and Anthony Joshua has to prove uh, stuff just like this. Listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I will have uh, Larry Hazard on the phone. Sal's going to have a chance to uh, fill up his coffee and uh, go to the turlet, and then uh, we'll be doing our blast from the past after that. So uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be back uh, in a few. Billy C will be right back. Hey, fight fans. Check out KOFantasyBoxing.com. KO Fantasy Boxing is boxing's only trademarked fantasy game. Check it out, www.kofantasyboxing.com. Select your own gym, your own fighters, track them through a season that can last from three months to a year, depending upon which league you join. You got to check this out, man, www.kofantasyboxing.com. Join it today. Again, www.kofantasyboxing.com, and tell them Billy C sent you. Broadcasting in all corners of the globe on the web and radio. He would scoff at a stretch of that man, I would think. You're listening to Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. From upstate New York in the good old U.S. of A. Boxing is here to stay because we are here to stay. The best two hours of boxing talk on the airwaves. The one, the only, Don King. Makes me feel good, Billy, to have you, the number one show in the country, talking boxing with Billy. So I invite each and every American that's listening to this great show to tune in. Because we want you to be there with Billy and me. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, speaking of being with us, joining us right now is Boxing Hall of Famer and New Jersey Boxing Commissioner and my man, Larry Hazard. What's up, Larry? Hey, hey, Billy. Hey, 
you doing, buddy? Oh, not too bad. Uh, you got a big fight coming up uh, uh, in Jersey this weekend. But before we talk about that, uh, a couple fights from last week I, I wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, first and foremost, the the uh, fight between Jermel uh, uh, Charlo and Erickson Lubin. You know, I... I I don't want to sound negative about the Charlo brothers, but, you know, they, they seem to always be in with guys that they have a significant advantage over, uh, not only physically, because like, they seem like monsters in the ring, but also, like in this case against Erickson Lubin, um, experience. And, and I don't blame that on Charlo. I, I, I blame that on Team uh, Lubin. But, I mean, it didn't really show me anything. I, I was really looking forward to see... You know, if something would come out of this fight that could make me really give an opinion on on how good at least uh, Jermel is, what was your thoughts on on this fight? Well, I'm glad you say you don't really blame it on them, um, on the Chalos. Um, you know, they they fight who they put in front of them, and they win. So can't argue with that. I do share your views. Uh, as it relates to, I was looking and hoping to really see a, a greater challenge um, so that I could really see exactly what these Charlo brothers have, um, specifically Jamel. I think they that kid that he fought, that Lubin, the kid just looked like he was overwhelmed coming in. You know, I look at I look at body language, I look at the uh, the body types of the fighters. You know, um, and a lot of the other little personal telltale signs that I like, as you might say, sizing them up. Something about the Lubin kid just told me, even before the first bell, hey man, I think this kid is out of his league tonight. He just looks so immature uh, relative to Chalo. He, Chalo just seemed going in like this was going to be a gift. And it, it unfortunately turned out to be just that. Uh, I don't even think Charlo knew um, the punch that he threw, whether it was planned, whether he was, you know, whether he maneuvered into that position or not. Uh, I don't want to call it a lucky punch because, I mean, you know, he, he just appeared to be in charge early on. And I, I really think they rushed this kid a little bit too fast. Well, he's 22 years old. He's 22 years old, okay? Uh, he really hasn't, uh, you know, he hasn't really built a name, Lubin. You know, uh, it took me a while to even try to reconcile or, you know, who did he fight? Where did, where did he come from? Um, I just think that they rushed him. And listening, you know, before the fight started, uh, that seems to have been some of the thought of going in, but they say that this kid... Wanted to be on a fast track. He wanted to get in there as soon as he could. And unfortunately, he, he found out that maybe that's not the good thing sometimes. So, uh, you know, that, that's my feelings on it. Well, I, really, I really didn't see much from Charlo because this really wasn't much of a challenge, as we all know. I, so we'll just have to wait for the next one. I think that... First of all, I want if I'm managing or working with a fighter, I want that fighter to be telling me he wants to go after the best all the time. But my job is to make sure that I don't put him right. in too quickly. I think what we saw, and I happen to have 
uh, known the history of Erickson Lubin only because I, I had the opportunity to call his uh, Golden Glove uh, um, championship in, in the state of Florida. And, you know, I got a chance to see him. And I, and, I, and I saw that, you know, he showed some skills. But, Larry, this is a typical path. If you look at Erickson Lubin's career going into this uh, Charlo fight, he did not fight any progressively better fighters than from his fourth or fifth fight. You know, and, and you know, all these managers and promoters, et cetera, et cetera, are so protective of the O because they feel that their fighter is going to lose value, which they do because of the networks. Um, this guy never had a chance to get better. And, and all of a sudden, you put him in with Charlo. And, and, and granted, I believe that the Charlo brothers really were given the same uh, track as, as Lubin. The only difference is the Charlo brothers have uh, the capability of, 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 you know, sweating out all that weight. I mean, it's amazing to see how monstrous they look. And, and I'm going to get to the other fight, too, but these guys don't look anyways. Larry, junior middleweight? Come on. I mean, they look like cruiserweights in there. These guys are big guys, you know. I mean, uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I also agree with you about the punch. It took me a half a dozen times to watch it, and I still didn't clearly see it. I mean, it, it looked like a uh, the, the camera shots, we didn't get a good view, but it looked like it caught him right on the chin real quick. Uh, at first, I thought it was a body shot, um, but uh, uh, hats off to Charlo. He improved to 30-0. and 0. Um, The other fight I wanted to mention was the Jarrett Hurd fight, and there's a, another example. Now, Austin Trout fought this kid like you couldn't ask him to fight anymore. Uh, any better I, I thought that what uh, what we saw was heard being exposed a bit a guy that um, could fight and be aggressive um, could take advantage the problem is, is Trout's lack of size I mean it, you're talking about two guys that made 154 pounds for the weigh-in and then the fight night I mean uh, you know you take a guy like Tommy Hearns I use this as a great example Tommy Hearns you know got low in weight and stuff but he was monstrous from his waist up he had those chicken legs and skinny legs. I mean, you could see where the weight was on him. Jared Hurd had tree trunk legs from his feet all the way up to his head. I mean, I just I would love to have known what he weighed that night because he just looked like he was three weight classes above Austin Trout. What were your thoughts? Well, I agree with what you're saying there. Also, just a you know thought back uh, to Tommy Hearns. Tommy Hearns, aside from his uh, frame, his body frame, physically, and I, I don't know exactly what the physics involved here are, but he is the premier linear type fighter with that punch. You know, those tall, lanky guys, Bob Foster, Michael Spinks, Tommy Hearns. You know, that's the one thing that was missing um, in this fight. You know, Tommy Hearns always had that punch. So as he, you know, went up and down in the weight, he never lost the power. That we did not see uh, with Austin Trout uh, in this fight. And as far as Hurd is concerned, I think that he's a tough kid. He walked Trout down. He appeared to be much bigger than Trout. Trout didn't have anything in his arsenal to slow him down, except that in the early part of the fight, I thought that Trout, you know, 
was giving him a, a pretty good uh, challenge in round one, two, and maybe three. But as the fight wore on, Hurd was able to utilize the advantage, whatever that was, in the weight, strength, and power to eventually, um, you know, walk Trout down. And that's what happened. You know, and of course, you could see the, uh, the effect of the punches that were very visible, especially with the swollen eye and all of the others. And it was a matter of time. You could see that it was a matter of time because he had nothing, in my opinion, he didn't have anything to resist Hurd's um, coming forward. You know, Trout was trying very hard, but he didn't have any strength. He didn't have the power. And I think he was just overwhelmed by the body size and just by the overall punching power. I I agree. I think that youth uh, helped Hurd, and um, the inability to to hurt him as much as he should have been able to is what uh, Trout uh, failed him. You know his his lack of power, like you suggest, if he had Tommy Hearns power, we would have seen uh, uh, the title change hands. I mean, because Hurd was taking a lot of shots. But uh, over, yes, on other, over on the other over on the other fight night, they had uh, uh, Leo Santa Cruz uh, fighting. Uh, Chris Avellos. Um, you know, I, this fight wasn't competitive at all. I, I did think that the referee, Thomas Taylor, should have stopped the fight. I believe it was after the sixth round when, uh, when Avellos was, was basically a punching bag. And, um, I, I mean, I don't think anybody would have complained about the stoppage if he jumped in between them. But his choice of stopping the fight um, at the end of the eighth round or during the eighth round after one punch, I thought was kind of strange, Larry. Um, I, I understand the reasoning, but I thought that it was kind of strange that he did that. He could have he could have stopped it earlier. Um, you know, I, I I don't know what goes on in some of these guys. You know, I, I think maybe perhaps he thought or he realized that you know the fight should have been stopped, and so he just took took that opportunity to do it. I don't know. You know these referees. Some sometimes they're just so inconsistent in their actions, so it's hard to tell what's going on. But I think that either way, uh, you can't really complain about the stoppage because um, you know we saw as we started getting into that fight that there was going to be it, it, it wasn't going to be much of a challenge. I think a, a, another couple of rounds he would have got knocked out anyway. Oh yeah, no, I, oh, yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent. There's no no question about that. But um, I, you know, the thing that uh, that Leo Santa Cruz does, Larry, with his with his glove, that that back and forth, I, I think that's. I know it's a nervous habit, but you know, it's it's slowing him down. Either age is slowing him down, or that's slowing him down because you can't throw a punch when he's doing that. So he, he kind of has to stop that. And I, and I know it's he's not thinking uh, about stopping it, but I. I think I noticed a big change in Leo Santa Cruz. What do you think? I don't know. You know, as these guys, as as time goes on, sometimes, Billy, you know, they want to try new things, and you you begin to see the wear and tear. I don't know. I think that I think that a lot, all of those factors are are contributing to it. I think he's slowing up. Okay, and and I don't see him. Um, you know, he's just not performing at the level that we used to. So we'll just have to see what happens. Um, 
the fight that I really enjoyed was Abner Mares. And I know he was in, uh, um, uh, Gutierrez shouldn't have been in the ring with him, but I did notice a change with Abner Mares. And I'll tell you, if we see the same two versions of the guys we saw Saturday night, Leo Santa Cruz against Abner Mares, my money's going to go on Abner Mares. I mean, this guy didn't run out of gas, and uh, he kept the pressure on, and he hits a, a hell of a lot harder. I, I like what I see in Abner Mares. What, what's your thoughts? No, I agree. I agree with that. That there's no, there's no question that uh, you know Mares, in my opinion, is, is just an overall better fighter, and he hits and he punches harder. And I think over, overall skill wise, I think that he's a better fighter. So, you know, he may he may even uh, that may even be a walkover if they ever get together. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I think it's going to be exciting either way. But um, uh, Antonio DeMarco, I love this kid. You know, he uh, uh, he comes in. He's brought in as the experienced name. Uh, Eddie Ramirez, again, uh, a fighter that uh, really didn't fight any uh, top-notch uh, opposition, was, was protected, et cetera, et cetera, comes in. And Antonio DeMarco uh, stops him at, at uh, slightly under two minutes of the first round. Uh, you can never count out these old slick veterans, Larry. What do you think? No, that that's the thing. And see, um, these veteran fighters, you know, they they oftentimes they're up and down, but um, you can never count them out because you never know on what night they're going to really shine, and that's what happens. And and usually what happens too is that on any given night everything seems to click for them, you know, and they come away looking like, you know, like world beaters. And so that's why you have to always be prepared and be ready whenever you're going against veteran guys. And, you know, we used to see that a lot years ago, Billy. You remember years ago where they had, they call them, well, they're more like journeyman fighters. But uh, many of those journeyman guys from back in the day would, would be top-class fighters today, these veterans, because their skills were just so perfected. Minimum skills, maybe, but they, the skills were so perfected that you never know what they're going to bring on any given night. And that's what we see. Well, the, re the reason why we don't see those guys anymore is because, you know, uh, they here in the States, anyway, they've devalued a fighter with, with a couple of losses. So you don't get to see those guys on network television or any television uh, broadcast. Now, you look over in England, why do you suppose that these British fighters and, and European fighters are taking over the sport? They fight those guys. They got a lot of those guys over there, Larry, and that's the big difference, my man. Oh, listen, you, you're absolutely right on that. They fight these guys, and they should be paying these guys tutorial fees because, because they learn from these fighters. You know, they've learned, they learn those skills, you know, and you're absolutely right. They fight the guys, and here, here in America, you know, that's what's lacking. They, these fighters are just looking for somebody that they can knock out, you know, somebody with a 2-15 and 15 record that they can just go right in. And the fans are accepting it here. That's the difference. I know. You know, the difference is that the fans are applauding it, are applauding it, as long as their guy wins. They don't care that he fought a bum. They don't care that he fought some guy who should not even have been in the ring. And that's the difference. 
okay? And that's a very important point that you bring up about the difference between over here and over there and why they are now coming over here and pretty much reaching a point where they're monopolizing the sport. You know, um, look, hey, right here in my own home state this weekend, no, okay, you got all of these fighters from uh, over there and very few, uh, very few fighters from over here on the card. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's going to be an exciting event because that's what's happening. These guys, they're getting, they're getting that, that skill. They're, they're learning from those so-called journeyman fighters that they have there, and they're not afraid to fight them, okay? And, you know, they don't see the one loss or the two losses as the end of a career. And these guys, are they're, they're trialed, they're tested, and when they come here, they show those skills, and that's why they're becoming very popular here in the U.S. now. You, you know, US, and our fighters are going down. You know why? I mean, uh, one of the big reasons is, and, and it's not just the fighters, uh, and it, it's not just the fans. Uh, the promoters over there are a lot smarter, and that's a great segue for me because this whole injury that happened to Cuba Pulov, and I don't question the injury. Sometimes I question these injuries. I don't question this one because this guy's been waiting patiently to, to fight uh, Anthony Joshua for, for a while now. He gets an injury. Then we find out that Eddie Hearn, the promoter of the event, you know, kind of covered his ass, Larry. He went and he went to the next guy that would be offered the fight, told him to start training, threw him some money. In the event that uh, that an injury happened, they would be able to slide this guy over. He would be ready. Um, I look at that as a smart move. I look at that as an investment just in case move. Something that promoters here in the States, they're not willing to open up the checkbook to cover their ass. And then next thing you know, they're losing the whole fight. Uh, you know, Eddie Hearn didn't. He had a backup plan. Now, I don't think that Takam is a better opponent for AJ, uh, but at least he didn't lose the fight. And it's still an interesting fight. What's your thoughts on that move that he pulled? I missed that last part, Billy. I missed that last part you said. I, I said, what's your thoughts on the, the move that Eddie Hearn pulled by having uh, Carlos Takam all, all ready to go, uh, you know, once uh, once the Pulev fight was signed, sealed, and delivered? I, I thought it was a smart oh. move, something the promoters here in the States, they don't want to open their pocketbooks. They don't want to write the oh, check. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant move. Brilliant. That's the part I had missed. Brilliant, brilliant. Hey, and let me tell you about this Hearn. And again, what you're saying when you say the promoters here don't want to open up their pocketbook, see, they, they, because their thinking sometimes is short range. They want all the money at once, okay? They don't look down the road, which, you know, discourages me and makes me wonder how much, you know, how much of an investment are they willing to put into the sport. They want to grab everything right away. And, and I'm glad you mentioned this guy, Hearn. See, this guy, Hearn, he looks down the road, and as you may or may not know, he's already now ready to, to invade the U.S. now. You know, if I'm not mistaken, you know, he's, you know, over here now looking at a lot of the talent, you know, signing these guys to promotional contracts. And I think he just signed this kid, uh, Jacob, out of Philly, uh, out of um, Brooklyn. Uh, I think Hearn just signed him up. Yeah, Dan know. Daniel Daniel Jacobs, yeah. Yeah. Da Daniel Jacobs, yes. You know, so that's that's again again 
is what we're talking about. The difference between over there and over here. Yeah, you know, it's and, and, and it's it's better for the sport what they do over there. Plus, the fans are, are 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 better in a way because they go to the events, they go to the live events. Something we don't do here in the states, you know. I mean, even even a guy like Floyd, who's a king of pay per view, doesn't sell out arenas more than ten, fifteen thousand people over there. They're packing in ninety thousand people live gate. I mean, it's unbelievable. Ten thousand people. Right, right, crazy. Uh, one last thing I wanted to talk to you about. You guys have a big event uh, this weekend. Uh, speaking of world, uh, the World Boxing Super Series is coming to New Jersey. Um, Murak Gassiov against uh, Vlad, uh, Christoph Vladzarek. That's going to be... I wish I was able to come down. I'm going to be uh, doing a, a, a fight up in Turningstone, but um, I wish I could come down for that because that is going to be one hell of a fight um, to uh, be the last uh, fight in that uh, first, uh, uh, the first leg of that World Boxing Super Series in the cruiserweight division. What's your? Uh, you got any inside scoops? What's your thoughts on this one? No, no, they've been pretty quiet, but uh, I expect that it's going to be a, a, a outstanding event um, with a nice turnout. They also have a. Uh, uh, it's not a part of the tournament, but they have this. Uh, this other fighter, this uh, Masid Selecki and Jack Kolke, these two, they're fighting um, uh, a super welterweight 10-round uh, fight, and it's for the uh, WBC. It's one of their eliminators, and I think that's going to be a pretty exciting event also. Oh, yeah. So um, I, think, I think it's going to be uh, this, this uh, super series, I think it's really catching catching on, but I, I think that if they did a little bit more PR work with that, you know, I think that we'll begin to, uh, you know, see, get a little bit more excited about it. But I think this event is going to be pretty good, Billy, and I'm sorry that you can't make it down. I know. I, 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 as soon as they announced it, I was like, oh, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, and then uh, the Turning Stone yeah. uh, thing came up, and, you know, I, uh, I do some cross-promotion with them, so, I, you know, I uh, am stuck doing that, but I think I think Dax might be uh, I think Dax might be going. So uh, uh, no, that's a great card, and uh, uh, it's coming back to Jersey. Hopefully, uh, uh, Schaefer can uh, can continue that move. And um, I'm surprised that we didn't get big television for the World Boxing Super Series. I I'm really disappointed that none of the U.S. Uh, networks stepped up for that. And you know, got them all. Uh, maybe, maybe the next leg. Because uh, so far we've seen two potential knockouts of the year in that tournament. One in the uh, cruiserweight division, and one in the uh, super middleweight division. So uh, uh, it's been uh, it's been going good. You, you guys are gonna have a great card. And Jack Colke is a good fighter. So uh, that's uh, uh, that that co-main is good too. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna be curious to see what kind of. Uh, what kind of ticket sales they do since there weren't too many local fighters on that card? I, I think it still does well. What do you think? Well, well, they have a they have a hell of a Polish community uh, in New Jersey, up around in the North Jersey area. You know, Adamac did tremendous down at the uh, Prudential Center. So I really don't know what type of PR they've been doing over maybe just centering in that area I, I haven't it's been very quiet in terms of um, you know um, a wider scale of advertising and PR which is kind of surprising you know direct TV I think is making it available I think they do have something going with that. that's a cable 
somewhere direct. If you have that net, uh, hookup, you might be able to get this. But I'm like you, you know, hopefully maybe that next leg, uh, if enough excitement is generated, that uh, some of the uh, U.S. networks will pick it up because it's good for boxing overall. And what's good for boxing for the sport is always gets my endorsement. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe uh, you and I have to go over to England and uh, do a couple of shows out there, my man. Okay. <laughs> I would like to. I would like to go invade England. You know, I mean, uh, they got some. Uh, they got some good stuff going on over there, man. Yeah, they certainly do. I tell you, some certainly of the uh, some of the young promoters that are starting out that always get discouraged because they can't compete with the Golden Boys in the top ranks should rip a page out of uh, you know some of the European uh, promoters' uh, books because. That's the model. They do they do old time grassroots promotion and then they, they sign the deals that they're supposed to sign. And they promote the young fighters. They they, they build them up from from young fighters. These guys here in the States have a tendency to sign a fighter, keep him under wraps until he's sixteen, seventeen and oh, and then he gets a television gig and then next thing you know people are saying he's exposed and you can't blame the fighter. Well, I think they call it greed. Isn't that the term? I think they call it greed, Billy. I, I think you're they right. They want bro. it all, and they want it all now. No, and they don't want to pay. They don't want to invest anything to get it all either. Nope. No. Nope. But hey, listen, my man, enjoy uh, the event this weekend in Jersey because it's going to be a good one, and we'll get to talk about that uh, next week. Okay, Billy. Okay. Uh, all right, my man. Have a good one. You too. That's uh, Larry Hazard. Uh, giving us his thoughts on the fights from last week and uh, the promotional uh, approach from uh, from the promoters over in England specifically, uh, all of Europe, but England specifically. And like Larry says, they're invading the U.S. Be on the lookout, especially 2018. I wouldn't be surprised if they start signing some multi-fight deals with HBO. And maybe Daniel Jacobs was the beginning of that, Larry mentioned. And then as we know, in addition to signing, uh, with uh, with the European fighter, uh, Daniel Jacobs also signed a multi-fight deal with HBO. Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, this week's blast from the past. He hasn't been out too long. He's not a typical old-time fighter, but he was a request uh, by you guys. So uh, don't go nowhere. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy, Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And, uh, you know, we're back. You're listening and watching The Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, uh, we're supposed to have uh, Alex Perpali join us for uh, this week's Blast from the Past. But uh, he's not here. So uh, uh, no problem. Uh, we will move on. And uh, I wanted to uh, just talk. Uh, if you guys uh, are looking for something to do this weekend, uh, come on up to the Turning Stone Resort and Casino up in Verona, New York, 
and uh, watch a great HBO card. I'm going to be ringside. So uh, come on, uh, uh, come on down and uh, uh, visit and enjoy uh, yourself uh, at the uh, Turning Stone because uh, it is a great place to see fights. There's uh, uh, no uh, bad seat in the house, and uh, you can get yourself some tickets right now by visiting uh, uh, BillyCBoxing.com and clicking on the Turning Stone fight poster, which is on the right-hand side of the screen. So uh, I would like to see you there. And drop me an email, Billy at Talking Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. And uh, let me know where you're sitting, and I'll, I'll try to find you. I'll try to find you. But uh, anyway, um, you know, earlier uh, we were talking about uh, uh, some different uh, fights that were finally signed, sealed, and delivered, uh, one of them being uh, uh, Billy Joe Saunders and David Lemieux. And um, joining us again uh, with very quick notice is uh, my man, my man uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. And uh, Sal, I, I know you're a big David Lemieux fan, and uh, this is going to be a, a, a big opportunity, I think, for Billy Joe Saunders uh, to make a splash here in the U.S. I mean, every time we hear Billy Joe Saunders' name, we hear it, him talking some smack. You and I joke about him saying, I want Triple G. I just need 18 months to prepare for him and you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But I think that this is a big fight, not only for uh, Lemieux, uh, because he, once again, will put the pressure on himself uh, fighting in front of his hometown. Uh, but Billy Joe Saunders has a lot to prove. Should he beat Lemieux in this fight? I think uh, it it really catapults his value, and a lot of doors will open up for him. Uh, what's your thoughts on his chances against your boy, David Lemieux? All right. You know, here we go. This is what you would call a significant fight. And definitely uh, one that is going to help direct where the middleweight division is over the next six months to a year. I think that uh, David Lemieux has got uh, a great opportunity. I think he is the favorite going into this uh, fight. I think Billy Joe Saunders is a good fighter. He's no slouch. This guy could fight. Uh, I think, uh, you know, is his ha- are, are his hands and his boxing skills as good as his mouth and as good as his uh, his desire to take 18 months and train and prepare for a fight, hey, I, I don't think it's quite there. But, uh, you know, I think that uh, he could definitely put up a fight. And like I always say, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't say it. Any given night, we don't know who's going to show up in a ring. We just could assume, based on past uh, performances, it's almost like this the investment. Uh, future results are not indicative of past performances. So we don't know. But I think that David Lemieux should handle uh, Billy Joe Saunders fairly well. And I think he will be explosive with his punching power. And he will. It doesn't have to be a pretty fight because sometimes they're not with uh, with David Lemieux. But they're effective. And I think he will be effective and be the winner later. But I think it's a significant fight. I think it's a great fight for both guys. And... I don't think a, a loss uh, either way uh, sets them back greatly. I think a loss to Billy Joe Saunders definitely will have him uh, chisel his way back up and try to keep in the mix. I'm, I'm sure they're going to maybe have a rematch clause in there somewhere. Uh, but I also think a David Lemieux victory or loss, same thing. David Lemieux has lost before, but he's climbed back into the mix because he's got that freakish punching power and he's got the ability to take a shot and he's always exciting to watch. So I think it's going to be a good fight for both. And, uh, 
I don't think it'll set them back whoever loses. Well, you know, um, but David, David Lemieux, former world champion, exciting fighter. Yes. Um, you know, he has so much going on with that because of the excitement factor. And, you know, we're always talking about that a lot. And David Lemieux, um, I, you know, he, he, he started off his career being overprotected a bit, um, decided to leave his management, lost a couple of fights. And then now he seemingly has gotten his career back on track. And some of the wrongs that he discovered along the way, um, specifically conditioning and stuff like that, he seems to have corrected. I think we see a more mature, better David Lemieux uh, now. And uh, I think that uh, even though he will have some pressure on him fighting uh, in Montreal uh, in a big fight, uh, once again for a world title with uh, the winner of the rematch between Triple G and Canelo on the line, I think I agree with you 100%. He's going to step up. Uh, but on the other hand, I also think that Billy Joe Saunders has a lot to prove. He's got to shut guys like me up. Uh, he's finally fighting uh, a guy that you know we're 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 claiming or or at least we know uh, is a world uh, top world uh, fighter in in Lemieux. So I, I think both fighters and and the the whole situation that they were able to come to a deal making both sides happy. I, I think we're in for a good fight. I, I don't I don't see this fight uh, being a cash out fight fight for Saunders. I, I think this is a uh, uh, he wants to prove to the world type of a fight. I just hope he doesn't bring his son and has his son start kicking yes, everybody kick in him the in privates. His shins. Yeah, kicking everybody in the privates like he did to poor uh, Willie Monroe Jr. But uh, uh, anyway, you know, something um, that uh, I was talking with Larry about, uh, and we, we were talking uh, basically, I don't know if you were listening, but um, you and I have talked about this many, many times about the fights over in England and the level of fighters that the fighters fight on their way up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the result of this, and, and whether people want to believe it here in the States, whether, whether they drink the Kool-Aid of certain fighters and, and believe the, the, the smoke screen, et cetera, et cetera, the bottom line is, is the British fighters, European fighters in general, are taking over the sport. And I think that one of the underlying reasons and one of the main reasons, actually, um, is the fact that they fight real fights against guys that I call a real fighter, Sal. But when you look at them not knowing a fighter and not looking into it, and you see a guy that's got a record, let's say, of, of, of 28 and 11, a lot of young fans today who have been brainwashed by certain fighters uh, throughout the last decade to believe that undefeated records equal quality would look at a fighter with a 28 and 11 record and say to themselves, oh, this guy can't be good. And these are the exact fighters that a lot of these British fighters are fighting, which makes them better as time goes on. And I'm not suggesting that any fighter with a 28 and 11 record is good, but some of these guys that were journeymen, that are journeymen, that seem to not exist here in the States anymore, I believe are helping these uh, uh, European fighters get to the stage uh, that they are. Well, I think you're right, and, and you know you can't fight a can't count a fighter out. I mean, you know, I, I go reference back. I think it was Mike Hercules Weaver uh, who had a, uh, uh, a a winning record, but he had quite a few losses. By the time he got a title shot, he maybe even had close to double digit losses on his record. And you would think, well, what kind of fighter is he going to put up against John Tate? 
Well, you talk about somebody rising to the occasion, somebody doing what he's got to do and realize he's got the one-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He went out, that, out there and he rose to the occasion. He knocked out big John Tate with a right hand, and John Tate went down face first, and boy, he became heavyweight champion of the world. And he had a record of uh, maybe nine losses, 10, 11 losses at the time. Yeah, no, well, uh, I know one loss he's got recently. <laughs> well, who they going to talk about? I lost, pal. <laughs> um, but but it goes a little deeper. The the promotional viewpoint of the British, and or I, I keep saying British, but let's just say European promoter, um, yes. is, is much smarter, in my opinion, than the promoters here in the States. And, and I'll tell you why. You mentioned the, the term you like to use a lot is grassroots promotion, which, you know, for anybody that doesn't know, it's the guy that hits the pavement, the old time promotion of an event, you know, uh, bringing a fighter around a local community, getting people to feel they know this person personally, put posters up, you know, make people think that they're they're missing out on something if they don't attend something that doesn't happen now here in the States. Most promoters like to just use social media and that's it. Uh, very rarely do I see posters up anymore. I, I tell you, one guy that does do it here in the States, a smaller promoter uh, that I've worked with a little bit, is uh, uh, Jimmy Birchfield over in uh, uh, CS, uh, CES uh, out of uh, uh, New England. Um, he is a grassroots promoter, that's for sure. Um, but uh, but anyway, my, my point is, is that young promoter that's starting out here in the States gets discouraged very quickly. Because they try to uh, emulate the Golden Boys and the Bob Arams and stuff like that. And they can't do it because they don't have the, the, the chest full of coin that these guys have amassed. And they're, you know, one and done, one show, they're out, or they lose their ass and they're out, you know. But I think that they should rip a page out of some of these uh, European promoters. Like Team Sourland, who's been around a long time. But they just signed a new deal with a, a German television station, which is network television, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know much about um, the network itself. But my point is, is that these guys should go for the lower gusto first and build a solid foundation. Everybody right away here in the States goes for pay-per-views. Oh, we'll go for a pay-per-view. Oh, we'll only charge nine ninety nine, and And even if we get... 100,000 people, you know, and they never get it. You know, there were these yeah. uh, uh, internet-based uh, fight networks that you pay for, and uh, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But something like a, a local television network to, to start out, maybe you're not making the big money. That's how it has to work, Sal. What do you think? Oh, you know what I'm going to say, and I'll tell you what. It's the grassroots. It's the early cultivation. It's it's uh, the the things that will make the notoriety of who fight what fighters what local fighters can be groomed to be into a world-class champions or world-class fighters i mean there was nobody better in my era and i will say that whether you love him or, or not lou duva what he did in the 70s and 80s to cultivate and develop a slew of world-class fighters out of ice world totoa you know, uh, I was just happy to be amongst that group. But you had Bobby Chez, you had Scott Frank. Scott Frank fought fought Larry Holmes for the heavyweight championship of the world. You had Nino Gonzalez who fought Roberto Duran. You had you had uh, uh, Rocky Lockridge. Uh, you had uh, an old one that uh, that fought and um, uh, was Rusty Rosenberger. 
You had all these guys, Bobby Chez. Uh, I mean, you could go on and on and on. You had uh, then the Olympians joined in. Some of the uh, the ones from the '76 Olympics even came aboard. And you know, Lou Duva would showcase these guys and myself at a Vice World Totowa, and we'd be given a bunch of tickets to sell. We'd be having our local family friends to come out and support us. The networks would get involved, and we would be fighting there. Uh, as house favorites over and over and over again until we got on a world stage. And, uh, I mean, there was nobody that could write the handbook of grassroots promotion better than Lou Duva. And, uh, of course, he had the help of his family uh, from Dan Duva to Dino Duva to Kathy Duva to the Duva sisters and daughters. And, uh, I mean, they had a family effort, and it was stellar. But that was a grassroots cultivated effort that groomed a lot of people for a world stage. And I think the European market, they get it, they do it, and the fans are recharged and then revitalized to come out and support their fighters. And that's the way to do it for long-term results. Speaking of Dino, I used to love him on the Flintstones. (laughs) 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 You know, that purple purple dinosaur. But anyway, uh, not that purple. When you say, oh, yeah, Dino (laughs) from the Flintstones. (laughs) That's right. The dinosaur parked like a dog. Yeah, you go go like this. And that was the dinosaur. When I heard of Barney and all this, I didn't even let my kids watch Barney. I said, no, you got to watch the Flintstones. Well, I was just going to say, you know, when I was a kid, the only purple dinosaur I knew was a a purple dinosaur posing as a dog named Dino on the Flintstones. (laughs) And then years later, what do we get? The purple dinosaur. Oh, my God. Uh, Barney. (laughs) Oh, forget forget about it. it, But uh, anyway, um, you know, we we talked last week about uh, Miguel Cotto uh, fighting uh, Saddam Ali. Uh, they had their uh, press conference yesterday, and you know some some stuff has come out about this fight. If you recall, Sal, um, you know they they said, "Oh, well, we wanted Cotto to fight. We made these offers, and they list all these guys: Errol Spence and Mikey Garcia, etc." They all turned them down, so Miguel Cotto had to accept Saddam Ali. And I found it strange, and I came on the show. And I said, you know, hey, hey, the bottom line is there's always more than one. Well, the truth is there's always three <laughs> sides to every story. You know, uh, side A, side B, and then the truth, you know. And, uh, you know, I, just because if, if I'm going to fight Sal Rocky Senecola and I offer Sal a, a dollar to fight and Sal says, no, I need more money, and then I come in the press and say, well, Sal returned down the fight. The part I leave out is I only offer him a dollar, you know, and and a lot of times that's I'll take it. that <laughs> that's the that's the problem with uh, with fighters. Well, um, Mikey Garcia uh, was a was a guy's name who was thrown around there, and it seemed that the paint the the picture that was painted was that Mikey Garcia, uh, you know, didn't want to fight. And some numbers were thrown out, and the people are saying, "Wow, you know, that's a lot of money for for Mikey Garcia." I mean, how much does this guy want? Is he turning into a diva, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Well, some stuff has come out, Sal. Mikey Garcia was happy with the money. I think it was around three million he was offered to fight Cotto at one fifty four. Now, remember, he wow. holds the, a lightweight title right now at one thirty five. He moved up in weight and fought Adrian Broner at one forty, and he still holds the one thirty five title. And he was willing to go to 154. No catch weight, Sal. No catch wow. weight. And, 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 and he said that the money was okay. But the reason he turned down the fight 
was that Golden Boy and the part that nobody ever mentioned. But Golden Boy, all those fight offers that they threw out there and then were kind enough to, to, to publicize that the fighters didn't take, all came attached with a multi-fight deal that they would have to sign and become, uh, you know, basically uh, fighting under the Golden Boy banner for a minimum of five fights. And Mikey Garcia said, I didn't want that. I was willing to fight for the money they offered. I was willing to go up and wait without a catchweight, but I didn't want to be tied down uh, to Golden Boy for for uh, uh, for five fights. And and he went and he responded publicly and said what pissed me off. And, and his team's going, Mikey, don't don't worry about it. Don't worry, but it's over. We're gonna go uh, going in a different direction. And you know what bothered him the most, Sal? What's what that? bothered him the most was that people would think of him as a coward, a guy that would back out of the fight, a guy that wouldn't you know uh step up to that challenge I, you know I, I, it almost brings uh, it almost brings a tear to my eye and the reason it why i say that me. the reason why i say that in all seriousness is because that's the exact mindset that i want in fighters that's what i think we're lacking today a guy that that made a smart business decision by turning down a big money fight because he didn't want to be uh married so to speak to golden boy but then getting pissed off that you know he's being portrayed as as being chicken and a ducker like like so many other fighters. What's your thoughts on this whole scenario? I think it's unbelievable, and and you are becoming the Paul Harvey of boxing, and I'll tell you why. Remember Paul Harvey, and now the rest of the story. Well, guess what? You fill in that gap real fast because. You could supply the rest of the story. That 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 third quote uh, quote that quotient with the with the idea that hey, guess guess what? There's another reason. Let's tell you the real reason. And uh, what you just did explain. And to have a fighter sensitive to the fan base saying that, well, you know, I didn't want my fans or anybody to think that I walked away from a fight because I wasn't uh, uh, feeling I could beat him or brave enough to step in the ring. Uh, but here's the real valid reason. And that makes a lot of sense because, you know, a fighter in his position, maybe he doesn't want to be tied down to one promoter or to this promoter for five fight deals. He thinks he could do better. So, I mean, that 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 goes a long way. And uh, I could definitely see that besides the fact that he's he's going to fight 20 pounds up, you know, uh, or, or 19 pounds heavier than what he's used to. So. You know, not that he can't do it, but uh, I, I think it would be he could probably carry that weight. He's a good size, lightweight, um, and he has fought up a, a little higher. But uh, uh, I think there were several things. But you hit it right on the head. He didn't want to sign for a five fight deal. Well, you know, I I I I get that, and you know, I, there's always been two rules that I say to a fighter when he works with me. And, and you know, you never want to turn down a big money fight and you never want to turn down a world title opportunity. And that's kind of what happened with Erickson Lubin this past weekend. You know, so even though I was kind of critical of his team, uh, you know, but then again, in my own defense, I would have, uh, you know, increased his level of opposition a little more than, than they had uh, just to prepare them for that opportunity. But... In, in Mikey Garcia's case, this is a big money fight. It would have been for a title. Cotto does have a title. It would have been for some kind of uh, recognition, so to speak, uh, in terms of accomplishment and stuff like that, uh, you know, moving up to that, that bigger weight class. 
But um, but but in Mikey Garcia's case, Sal, I mean, the, the guy has the money. He's got the belts. You know, now he's got to look, uh, you know, what's best for him long term. Yes. And I think he made the right decision. I, and I'm glad that he 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 made it, you know, wanted to clear the air, so to speak. And a lot of uh, media outlets are not picking that up uh, for some reason. And I think that um, I, I I love Mikey Garcia. I mean, Mikey. I know Gar- you do, and my, I, my, I do too. I think he's a great fighter. Yeah, I mean, Mikey Garcia is is the example of a fighter that you want. I mean, I was critical of Mikey when when he, uh, you know, when he was in his little hiatus, you know, uh, was going through his holding his breath, uh, you know, getting out of his deal, um, uh, you know, with top rank, but. Um, I think overall, I think he made a smart decision. He's got a good team. He, he's a he's a, seems like a grounded guy, and uh, uh, I love the fact that he's uh, doesn't bat an eye moving up. How many weight classes? <laughs> you know, well, that's it. I mean, he's moving up. When you look at it realistically, lightweight, you got junior uh, welterweight, welterweight, and junior middleweight. I mean, he's moving up three weight classes, and uh, uh, so that says a lot. And I'm sure he could probably carry it if he gives himself time to. To fight at that weight, and uh, Miguel Cotto is not a, a super big junior middleweight either. So uh, uh, I think it uh, it would be a good fight. I think it would have been a good fight, but like we now know, uh, you know, he wasn't ready to settle for a five fight deal with Golden Boy, and uh, you know that's the rest of the story, Mister Calajero. I was going to say Harvey, but we don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, I I uh, I agree. I agree. I think. Uh, he did the right thing. That's for sure. I think he did. I think he did, Bill, because we got plenty, plenty of good fights ahead to watch with uh, Mikey Garcia, and uh, he's going to be in tough, and uh, he's going to see some good fights ahead of him. And you know, I, I, I think uh, this one would have been good. It's good notoriety. It's great against uh, Cotto for his last fight. Um, I don't think he'll regret this, but uh, you know, like I said, look at where he's going to be over the next five fights in his mind. And look at where he could be maybe in the next five fights with Golden Boy's mind. Maybe. You know, you don't know. That that that's would have been the approach that I looked at. Um to see. You know, yeah, but, what, but what, the thing, why I have planned. But the thing is, is that Golden Boy would have told him what fights. He well, he's exactly. he's the he what he likes right now is is getting offers and then he steps up like he did against Broner. But and speaking of yeah. uh, Miguel Cotto and Saddam Ali, got some quotes here from uh from their official press conference, which took place uh, yesterday, um, Miguel Cotto said, it's nice to be back. It's nice to be at this place, referring to Madison Square Garden. It made me the big boxer that I am today. All I could say is I'm going to go, that I'm going to Los Angeles uh, to start my training camp. I'm going to go do, uh, I'm going to do my best with Freddie Roach, as always. I know Saddam Ali will do his best. Uh, we're going to bring a good show here. On December 2nd, Saddam Ali said, I know I'm the underdog. I know a lot of the media are throwing bad words at me. Just remember, Ali, sticks and stones will break your bones, but bones, but names will never hurt <laughs> you. Funny guy, They'll yeah. never hurt you. Uh, but he says, uh, but if you work hard, you never know what's going to come. It's not about the money. Oh, yes, it is. Um, oh, yes, it's it about is. But, the opportunity. But. Yeah, but uh, I know I want to win. I know if I want to win, I got to come in 100% and fight smart. Cotto has tremendous power, so I'm going to fight smart. I'm going to use all my abilities, my speed, my strength, my feet. I'm ready to shine. For all these who don't think I have a chance, all you got to do is wait and see. I promise you'll get a great fight. You know, I'll give you my thoughts on this comment. I got to take a break right here, but I'm going to give you my thoughts on, on this comment. 
And I'll give you a hint. They're pretty much the same as the last time we heard uh, his quote when the fight was first announced. Don't go anywhere. Billy Z will be right back. Part of the Billy Z Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy Z. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, Sal, before I went to break, I, I, I said I was going to give you my thoughts on Saddam Ali's uh, um, quote from the uh, conference yesterday. You know, again, I think it sounds like he's happy to be there. Uh, when he when he made the, the, you know, I know I'm the underdog. I'll show you. I got to come in at 100%. I mean, I, you know, I want to hear words from a, a, an underdog like, I will be 100%. I know I'm coming to win. You know, not I'm going to try my hardest. I, I'm going to get a participation trophy just for showing up. You know, I, you know, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear a lot of positive stuff. But the one thing that bothers me, is he's already kind of, and I'm reading between the lines, maybe too deep, but um, he, he's already kind of, you know, changing his game plan to expect a power punching Miguel Cotto, who is, but Miguel Cotto's short. He's got to get in close. Sanam Ali should just focus on boxing and counter punching, but not running. He says, I got to use my feet. That tells me he's thinking of running. What's your thoughts? Well, yeah, suggesting that. And, you know, not that I could overanalyze what words we've heard. Uh, could it be some subdiffuge? Could he could he want to put some rhetoric out there to throw him off course? Can he do that? Is he smart enough to do that? Uh, you don't know, Bill. We don't know. We don't know if this is what he's wanting to everybody to hear, believe, and, and expect from him. We could see maybe he's behind the cloth and, and inside the gym doing some totally opposite things from what he's suggesting. We don't know. But uh, uh, that would be my uh, only thought on that because you're right. Otherwise, uh, if it's not a little subdiffuse or a little bit tossing off the course of the map uh, from what uh, he wants Cotto to expect, uh, you know, I'd be I'd be full of you know watt and vinegar and say, hey, you know what? These guys are going to regret picking me. I'm going to rise to the occasion. I'm going out there. I'm going to be in the best shape of my life, and I'm going to destroy this guy. I'm going to shock the world. I'm going to do what I got to do. They chose the wrong guy this night. You know, I mean, that's I, the mindset and the mentality. That's what he's got to have. True. And the only thing is, here I am criticizing him for not saying that stuff, and then I criticize fighters that could say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and then they don't do it, you know. So maybe he's you just... Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. See that? I know. can't please you. I know, you gotta... I know. I'm, I'm, I'm tough, <laughs> no. I'm tough. Hey, you know what? Tough. He's got to tat his horn. He's got to feel good inside. And like I said, anybody that gets that phone call that you're stepping in the ring for a world title shot, man, I'll tell you, if that doesn't get you up to be your best Forget about it. You don't belong in. Exactly. And that's the point. You know, I, I would like to have seen a little bit more positivity. Um, our trivia question today. I, I'm offering your very own, your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game. The same game that Alex uh, uh, uses for our, uh, uh, our Blast from the Past, which we didn't do today. I apologize for that. Um, uh, this is a, a tough question. I've gotten some interesting answers, but uh, first of all, I, I think you guys should look into um, 
the key the Keystone Cops. The the question is, what former professional boxer went on to Hollywood and became one of the Keystone Cops? I'm going to give you a hint. It wasn't exactly a household name fighter, all right? But this is very, you can find this if you, if you search. So if you're the first one to email me, Billy at Talkin' Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com, you'll win your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game. I know what your answer is, unless you got another one. Do you have another one, Sal? You mean there's somebody else other than Jack Dempsey? No, that's not correct. That's not correct. Okay. But uh, you know, it's good, man. You 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 you're you're one of those guys. I can always. I'm consistent. I, you are. Okay? You are. And and remember, if you did. Remember, five uh, opportunities for me to do that. Just, one of these days, you got one. You, be, you you yeah, already got one. Keep, you already got one. Remember. I know that. <laughs> don't I'm worry for the next one. <laughs> don't worry, kid. You'll get your chance. I, I wish I had a, a a towel to throw at you right now. I Here, mean, let, let, let's. Who, who's the fighter that knocked? Purple out of the ring, Jack Dempsey. Right, win up, win up. <laughs> Too bad that's not the question. So uh, here's here's the uh, question one more time for anybody that uh, uh, gets it first. You got to email me because we go by the timestamps. If you're the first one to email me, Billy at Talking Boxing T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com, you win your own copy of Title Bout Championship Computer Game. What former professional boxer went to Hollywood and became one of the famous Keystone Cops? Email me if you know that answer, Billy at Talkin' Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. On this day in boxing history, October 18th, in 1943, Jackie Kilura wins a 15-round decision over Jackie Wilson, the Battle of the Jackies, to win the uh, World Featherweight title took place in Providence, Rhode Island. On this day in 1989, Luisto Espinosa knocks out Kokora Galaxy, in the first round to win the WBA World Bantamweight title took place in Bangkok. On this day in 1974, Sumunu uh, Hangigata knocks out Char Chai Chinoli. <laughs> it's not Chinoli. That sounds like, hey, I'll take Chinoli. a cannoli. I'll take a cannoli. It's Chinoy uh, in the sixth round. I try to make everyone sound Italian, you know. In the hey, sixth well, round I, to hey, win I the WBA were, World Bantamweight. Growing World up, Bantamweight. I thought everybody was. Yeah, yeah you're, Whoa, you're right. Uh, to win the World Flyweight title in, in Japan. On this day in 1987, what are they doing to me today? On this day in 1987, <laughs> Hiroki Ioka wins a 12-round decision over my Thorberry, uh, um, my Your Thorberry, Thornberry you my Farm Thorberry. to win the newly created uh, WBC Strawweight title in Japan. Uh, finally, I get a couple of names I can pronounce. On this day in 1990, Michael Second to None knocks out Donald Curry in the 10th round. To retain his world middleweight title, it took place in France. Took place in France, and on this day, our friend, mine and Sal's personal friend, Ray Mercer, knocks Ray. out Tommy Morrison in the fifth round to retain his world heavyweight oh, title. Oh. That took place in Atlantic City, oh. New Jersey. On this day, what, Sal? Oh man, I can't believe you just said that. If you have the time, I think that was one of the most vicious knockouts. Ray Mercer totally hammered Tommy Morrison into oblivion with ferocious right hands. It was devastating. I mean, Tommy Morrison should have should have had a headache for the rest of his life after that fight. Uh, you got to look at that knockout, Billy. Have you seen it? Do you of recall? Of course I have. Of course I have. Come on, man. I was nobody was a bigger fan of Ray Mercer than me. I told everybody when he was coming out of the Olympics and and turning pro, I said this is going to be the next big uh, heavyweight. 
a champion. He, he, he became a champion, but unfortunately, um, not as big as I had hoped. But uh, anyway, hey, listen, everybody, boys and girls, children of all ages, ladies and gentlemen, in whatever order you want all of that, make sure you tune in tomorrow morning, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'm going to leave you with this. Ciao, baby. Ha <laughs> <laughs>